If you're looking for success in the vacation rental industry, Heather Bayer and the team at cottageblogger.com are here to show you that it's entirely within reach. Welcome to Vacation Rental Success, the show that features interviews with industry experts, successful vacation rental owners, and more, all geared toward helping you make it happen. Here's your host, Heather Bayer. Welcome to another episode of the Vacation Rental Success Podcast. This is your host, Heather Bayer. And as ever, I'm delighted to be back with you. Here we are in May and it's been a long time coming, but it still doesn't feel much like winter is over yet. We've had a ton of flooding up here in our area and we are dealing with the aftermath of that. So, so yeah, it's still pretty wet. We haven't had much warmth yet. But we are hoping for the best. And of course, at this time of year, we are inundated with guest inquiries and also with owner inquiries. It's been an amazing couple of months for our owner acquisition campaign. And we're hearing from new owners every single day. I don't quite know what it is, whether it's because there are more people investing in property and more people who already have property seeing the value in not leaving the properties empty anymore. I mean, we still have a vast number of cottages in our area that are not rented out. You know, the owners use them for a couple of weeks during the summer and maybe the odd weekend in the fall and the winter if they're winterized. But for the rest of the time, they're left empty. But what we're seeing is more and more owners looking at this and seeing that it's just not economically viable to carry on with this second home unless they start making some income from it. So that's a lot of the the owners we are seeing at the moment, but also people who have bought new properties this year. And it seems that just about everybody who's buying a new property wants to rent it out at some time, whether they want to uh, to just offer it out for the weeks they're not using it. Or what we're hearing more and more is that they want to rent as much as possible and they will take the remainder. So, yeah, it's been a really, really busy time. So, fortunately, we increased our staff this year and we took on a new staff member called Shelley, who actually lives up near the Michigan-Ontario border in uh, Sarnia. And I, I haven't actually met Shelley yet face-to-face. We've conversed on the phone, we have our team meetings. But because all our staff are remote, meaning that they all work from their own homes, we just don't often get the chance to get together. Now, this is a model that's really, really worked well for us. We've been operating a remote office for around five years now, my staff used to come into my home, into my the old home that we had. And they would come in every day and we'd go down to the basement where our office was and we would work through the day. I would make lunch for everybody and at five o'clock I got my house back, which was fine because I, I loved my staff. I loved everybody coming in. Um, my dogs were free to roam around and everybody loved the dogs. But as we grew, it just became a little bit unwieldy. There were too many people coming in. I didn't have my house to myself. And I was not about to start renting office space. I just find that the the bricks, bricks and mortar, if you don't have to do it, don't do it because it's so expensive. So we decided five years ago that we would send everybody to their homes. And mostly 
they were absolutely fine with it. Uh, our office manager, Sandra, had been with us for 12 years at that time, and she found that a little bit of a challenge. But we did it bit by bit. She started out by working at home two days a week, then it extended to three, then four. And now it's been a couple of years and she is very, well, more than happy to be working from home. But I'm often asked, you know, how, how do we make this work? How do I know that our staff are actually working? And it's, it's a really, it, you know, these, these are very valid questions. I honestly don't spend much time thinking about output from our staff because everybody is doing a fabulous job and I don't have any doubts about them. And you know, our staff stay with us. We have a very low churn rate. We have lost one member of staff in 12 years, 15 years. And that's a part the short term staff that we contract staff we take on for, for the summer. But uh, we keep our permanent staff and we're very happy with that. And we think it's because of this lifestyle that they have, that they are able to come to work in their pajamas if they wish. And they can take a break whenever they want. They just let us know when they're going to take a break or when they're going to go for lunch or taking the dog for a walk or doing a spot of shopping. As long as we are covered and we know where everybody is at any given time during the working day, then it's working really, really well. And we also have a rotation of weekend working. And that's sort of been decided amongst the staff. I had nothing to do with that. They just came to us one day and said, we need to do weekend cover and we'd like to do this. We'd like somebody on each weekend and then they'll take off a couple of days during the week. And they have this wonderful rotation schedule set up that, that I had absolutely nothing to do with. So maybe we're an outlier. We are just so very happy with the way it all works for us, but I'm sure it could work for many other companies and I'm sure it does. So on this topic of hiring and employment, I'm so pleased to have with me today Sue Jones from HR for VR. She is a seasoned human resources manager and has found her niche in the vacation rental industry. And I have a ton of questions to ask Sue about hiring people, because when you get to that point where you need to make your first hire, you've got so many questions you want answered. You want to, you know, what do you want to hire for? You know, what is, what is the best task for your first hire to do? Or do you just hire a general manager who's going to take it all from you? Well, these questions are going to be answered by Sue. And I had the great fortune of meeting Sue face to face in Bend, Oregon last week or two weeks last week. Yeah. Uh, at the Northwest Vacation Rental Professionals uh, Conference. And we had a bit of a chat about this. So I am so delighted to have Sue with me today. So without further ado, let's move on over to the interview. So I'm so delighted to have Sue Jones with me from HR for VR. Uh, Sue, it's an absolute delight to talk to you. It was so nice to meet you two weeks ago in Bend, well, at Sun River. It was great. I'm so glad you were able to come. And what a beautiful location for a conference. And I, I think just hearing on the feedback, it was just a, a great um, conference for everybody who attended. So happy to have gotten the time to spend with you. Oh, yes. I mean, a conference, the people make a conference, but so does the food. And I have to say, it was probably the best food I've ever had at a conference. The food was fabulous. 
And, you know, it's interesting, even with all of the different types of meals and things that were served, there really wasn't anything, I think, that I, I'll be very surprised if any feedback comes back other than it was fantastic food. <laughs> I, I know. I came back four pounds heavier and <laughs> and really wanting, uh, really wishing I had got the recipe for the peach cobbler. <laughs> well, we have connections. Maybe we'll be able to help you with that. Oh, yes. It was, it was great. I think I, I said on my feedback, it was just this combination of great group of people getting together that obviously collaborate a lot. So they knew each other. There was some really good synergy and the education was fantastic. I tried to sit in on as many sessions as I could and I wasn't disappointed in any. And I loved the keynotes as well. That was, unfortunately I missed Leslie Preston's because I arrived late having spent my nine hours wandering around Denver Airport. Uh, but uh, but the, the other keynotes, and Matt Ward in particular, was, was just really amazing. Oh, and of course, I must mention Amy, Amy Hyman. Oh, yes. For somebody who says she doesn't like public speaking, she does a fabulous job. She did such a phenomenal job. And the presentation, along with, you know, the recent article she had in the VR Mintel, with the whole piece on, you know, the changes in the industry is just, you know, it's been astonishing as we read through that and look at that. So we were thrilled to have Amy. And I think, as you mentioned, for someone who says she doesn't like to present, she does a phenomenal job. She, she does indeed. I was actually chatting with her today and talking about changes in the industry. We were we were talking about sort of what's happened in this last week and, and you know, things just going nuts with Marriott getting sort of full on into vacation rentals and there's the right. Indian company Oyo Oyo yeah. Oyo yes acquiring an Amsterdam company and then there's HomeAway saying we're not going to be HomeAway anymore we're going to be VRBO or Ver <laughs> Verbo Verbo you can Verbo. Hard, you can hardly draw breath from what's going <laughs> on but anyway I'm going to be talking to Matt Landau shortly um, you know in the next week or so just about all these changes and how they impact the sort of small to medium-sized business. But for now, you and I are going to talk about hiring and bringing people into a business. And it's something that's, that's dear to my heart. You know, we've just taken on a, a new hire. But it got me thinking about going back to the beginning and how you hire your first person, what you have them do, how you monitor their work. And in my introduction, I was talking a bit about my company, the fact that we, we all work remotely. You know, we've got eight of right. eight. Or, do you know, I, I can't even remember how many of us there are. I think there's nine. <laughs> and, we, <laughs> and we are all remote. So I just wanted to kick off with you just telling us a little bit about yourself. And I know you've been a human resources professional for a lot of years, but what got you into niching down, if you like, into the vacation rental business? Well, I think to kind of start with, as you mentioned, I've been in HR for a number of years and really focused in hospitality and manufacturing, uh, food service, a lot, of, a lot of different types of industries. And I actually got into the vacation rental industry when I worked at Navis as the VP of HR back in 2011. And at that point, that was my introduction into the industry. And I, I fell in love. I mean, just like so many of us, I just fell in love with this industry. I think that the people and the relationships that you make are ongoing and they're real. You know, for me, after spending so many years working in a in corporate type of environment, 
it was really a great decision to start my own business and focus in this niche because you're working with business owners. So when I left Navis, I actually thought, well, I want to continue to live in Bend because Heather, as you know, it's so gorgeous here. (laughs) And I also thought about other jobs in the area and really felt that there really wasn't another company that I wanted to work with. So I felt if I wanted to stay in Bend, I needed to start my own business. And that's where I... uh, came into the vacation rental industry in 2012. My my business name at the time was the KLS Approach and we have or the KLS Group and we've actually rebranded 2 years ago to HR for VR. But when I started my business, several clients that I had worked with at Navis reached out to me and really encouraged me to partner in this industry because it was a a well-needed area and there was a lot of opportunity for some resources there. So I'm very grateful to those individuals, and I, I'm thrilled that, you know, seven and a half years later, I feel fully inconstant in this industry, and there isn't anything that's going to take me away from it. <laughs> I mean, it's just, I just love it. Yeah. And especially after coming off this conference, you, you know, where you're, you mentioned this group just kind of really has a strong network, And I think that's really true in the Pacific Northwest. So many of the property managers and and business owners are really close and networking with others in the area. So I find that just, yeah, it's my sweet spot and I love it. I well, I I completely understand. I wouldn't be in any other business either. But (laughs) first of all, HR for VR, that is such a great name. I can understand why you rebranded that. It's catchy. There was used to be an old ad in England that said, you know, it says right. it does what it says on the tin. Right. And you know it was it was really interesting. I was with a, a client. We were actually at the Verma in Savannah a couple of years ago and this individual said to me, he's like, you know, Sue, I know what you do. You know, you've worked with us. I know the value you bring in these things, but nobody knows what the KLS group is. You need something that says, you know, HR, VR for HR, something like that. And I thought, boy, that was just such a smart idea. (laughs) And I just spent like a week just going out and seeing which uh, domains were available and very fortunate. So it's really been good. And I felt like after five years in the industry, I really wanted to set my myself apart as the industry expert in human resources. And, And I think that, you know, we've done a great job of that. Um, both Stephanie and I am working with the different clients and things. Well, your reputation does precede you. Um, <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> I heard, well, no, I heard about you long before we met, so that's always good. The the the, the word of mouth is as. Matt Ward said in in his keynote, "Word of mouth referrals are everything." <laughs> that's right. That's um, right. So, so my first question is, you know, you, you work with you work with different size companies. So I know you work with large companies. Are you also working with independents or those people that are starting off with their first hire? Absolutely. I find that, you know, I work with clients from the standpoint of a single soul entrepreneur who is just getting into the industry and trying to determine what they need as their first hire. Several companies, you know, I would say maybe two to three employees up to anywhere upwards of a couple hundred of employees. But it's these smaller ones where you really begin to develop that relationship and where we can come in and help them to kind of determine, you know, where do they need to kind of focus their energies? Because as you know, as an entrepreneur and you build your business, that's that whole creative side. 
then you need to bring in somebody to help get those processes in place and, and to continue to make momentum. And it's really challenging as a business owner to say, okay, I can't do it all myself anymore, but what's this resource I need and how do I figure out where to go and you know how to find that? And that's where I find when people kind of hit that breaking point, you know, you just never get your head above water. And, and that's where as business owners and, and property managers, you start to miss things that affect the quality and the delivery of your services. And I tend to to see that people no longer have fun because they're just working so long and so hard. You, you kind of need that mental health break, which I will say I had to take last Tuesday. <laughs> you know, sometimes you just hit that wall and you need you need a break. And so where we come in, we can help and, and talking to the owners and saying, if you're really strong on the sales and marketing and building this business, then maybe you need to bring somebody in on the operational side. And that's typically where I see the first employees coming in in these um, property management businesses. It's either to support the sales and marketing side or it's to support the operations side, depending upon the strength of the business owner. I, I remember back in 2005, I think, our business started in 2003, and in 2005, we'd probably got to around 30 properties, and, and it was just myself and my husband, and it, it, it just got too much, doing, uh, particularly this time of year when we had owner acquisition and the busy time of trying to book out these properties that we'd taken on, and you suddenly realize that you can't go by yourself any further. Right. So... Yeah, I com- I completely understand. You know, at, at that time, I loved the owner acquisition. I wanted to go out and be with owners. And I brought somebody on at that time to do the operations, to speak to the guests, to do the bookings. And it, it was amazing how wonderful that was to have somebody take that off me. Now, I've talked mm-hmm. to Steve Milo, <laughs> who <laughs> waited until he had 125 properties before he took his first employee on. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Well, and you know, it's really interesting because you also mentioned your employees are all remote. And I think this is really a critical point. And and we're at this critical juncture now within this industry that people have to get very comfortable with working with, you know, remote employees. And, you know, when you have that flexibility, then you can also be very specific about the skill set you're looking for. Because if you're going to work with a remote employee, you may be able to find that skill set. And it might be in Texas, might be in New York, it might be in your back door. But the reality is that you may not have that skill set right where your properties are locally. And so, again, you know, that's this is a challenge in this industry because people are challenged with not seeing, touching, feeling their employees. And so when you go to hire your first employee and now it's going to be a remote employee, that adds another kind of challenge into the mix. Yeah, that's right. And I, I know when I took on mine, that we're going back to 2005, we, we didn't have, it, you, you couldn't find remote employees at that time. <laughs> if, right, right. I, I, so I had to get somebody, you know, should I get them part-time? Should I get them filled full-time? And that was quite the struggle. I, I mean, would you say it's a little bit easier these days because there are, there's more options I think it's a lot easier this day, these days, especially with AI. And you can also, there's lots of resources for administrative type help. There's, you know, resources overseas. There's, there are a lot of resources today for people to, to look at, to fully staff. And, 
you know, it adds part of when you're hiring your first employee, too, is you also have to kind of think about what you need, right, from just from a legal and, you know, legal obligations and liabilities and expenses. And so some of that you may not need by working with outside resources or maybe working with a contractor for a while or somebody to to fill a, a specific need. Um, so there are a lot of different ways you can can staff, whether it's your first full-time employee or whether it's a contractor working with you on a special project or whether you're working with somebody who's remote. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there are a lot of different ways that you can do that. But the key is understanding what it is you need and then what that individual is going to do and then how you're going to measure their performance and, and keep them engaged. Well, before that, you've got to find somebody. So, so having, yeah. <laughs> having having created, you know, sort of a, a the persona, the person that you just think is going to be perfect for you. Where do you actually find them? I and mean, we just we just mentioned um, remote, but I know people are going to say, "Well, this is this is all very good, but how do I go about finding somebody? How do I?" <laughs> and you know, it's it's interesting you bring that up because the news all over today is that. The unemployment rate in the U.S. hit 3.6%. It's the lowest it has ever been in 50 years since they've been measuring this statistic. And what is interesting about that is there are still a lot of jobs out there, but there isn't the skilled workforce. Mm -hmm. So when you go to look for these individuals, your traditional recruiting pools aren't going to give you the talent that you're looking for. You can still go out and post your ads on Indeed or Facebook or use LinkedIn and that, but if you're looking at it purely in a local, localized area, you're going to have to really start focusing your attention on what are some of the soft skills that are important in your business for people to have? And and what I mean by that, when you go out to hire, looking for people who have the ability to take feedback, that you can coach. They, they take feedback and they learn from it. They are able to solve problems. You know, they, they've got that problem-solving thinking. You know, those are the things you want to hire for because the technical skill sets you can teach somebody or those hard skills. So if you were going to hire somebody for operations and, you know, they were going to come in and kind of manage the property care piece, well, first of all, you'd want to make sure that they had good problem-solving skills, that, you know, they were good organizationally. So when you can identify what those skills are you're looking for, then you want to start tapping into different kinds of applicant pools. And there are a lot of diverse applicant pools. When we talk about um, diversity and inclusion, you want to have as diverse workforce as you can. And some of the areas where I find real nuggets and getting in and, and, you know, going for the gold, finding the gold, the great employees, are looking in some of these more diverse recruitment pools. And one of them, just to kind of think about, right off the top are individuals who are re-entering the workplace. So it used to be years ago, you know, you would have women going out and maybe they'd be having their children, raising their children at home for a couple of years, and then they come back into the workplace. Well, now today you have both parents doing that. You have stay-at-home parents coming back. But even more importantly, there are people who are leaving their careers in their mid to late 40s to take care of aging parents. And so people are leaving work to go and take care of, um, 
you know, family needs and then coming back into the workplace. And when they come back into the workplace a year or two later, we all know as fast as technology moves along, you know, there's kind of a reskilling, a retraining. So looking for individuals who have maybe been out of the workforce who are looking to come back in. The other areas I like to recommend are working with the military and, and the veterans. You know, there's a lot of statistics around veterans and they're highly, you know, motivated, ethical. They've actually got a good ability and a proven ability on learning new skills and concepts. So they kind of understand the dynamics. And and if you think about the military, and I was actually in that, so I can remember, it's kind of like do as I say, not as, (laughs) you know, come in and follow instructions and get it done. And so when you think about work process and standards of operations and SOPs, veterans live and breathe this. So they can really come in and assist. The other pool that goes along with this is the military spouses and partners. It can be a real challenge for military spouses to find jobs and and build their careers when they're having to move around and relocate every 18 months to two years. Think how great it would be if you had a a local military base around you that you could reach out, you could hire a few military spouses, get them trained, and then wherever they go, you know, maybe from a reservations or guest services standpoint, they could work for you remotely. So I find that to be a, a key one. The other one that's coming back into play is hiring people who have convicted, who've been convicted of a crime. And would be a lot of times we'll see sometimes we focus on what the perceived risks are and perhaps they had been you know convicted of shoplifting or misdemeanor or theft or or fraud or something along these areas is it something that you can overlook in the position they're finding that you know this is a real disadvantaged recruitment pool especially when you think about companies that have laundries, your maintenance, your some of these technical skills that these individuals learn while they're in the prison system. You know, they've got all the machinery, they've got the plumbing, they've got the tools, they've got the technology. So again, if you can find a way to do some work partnerships, that's another pool. We've kind of talked a little bit about remote workers. And then the, the other area that I like to talk about is the disabled workforce. So a lot of areas will have different services in their communities where they'll provide disabled workers with different types of jobs. Like maybe if you have to do a huge mailing or you're sending out you know, information to your homeowners and magazines, you could have somebody come or stuffing your bags, right? That's another great way that um, you can use that workforce is if you've got to stuff all your bags for your homeowners and your guests coming in. Also doing laundry or helping in those areas. So those Those are the areas that I see that are really untapped. And if you start trying to tap into those different types of workforce pools, I think you'll start to find some talent that uh, will really help you as you start to grow your business. I I love that you mentioned military spouses because I was one for 35 years and, Mm -hmm. and did move from place to place and just found it so difficult to, to get a job because the moment you said, because at that point, at that time, they could ask all sorts of questions about you. <laughs> which, That's right. Which, which perhaps are not so uh, applicable these days. But, you know, the moment I, they found out that I was, I was an Air Force wife, uh, they knew that I wasn't going to be lasting longer than three years and we'd be off right. again. 
So that that was really tough. So I I, I think that is a that is a great pool of um, of of workers if you've got a military base. Sure. And, and, you know, when you kind of talk about the, this criminal piece and, and criminal records, you know, that employers are willing to overlook, the things that are really coming to the top is about 75% of employers are, over, are willing to overlook substance-related felony, like DUIs or drug-related crimes, and about 70% are willing to overlook some shopping list, uh, shoplifting or vandalism that are misdemeanors. And the, the reason this is happening is that the recent data shows that one in three adults have a criminal record. So think about that. If you're not looking at that pool, you're only looking at two-thirds of this population. So again, there's a real opportunity as, as far as that goes. And there are six states that actually have a certificate of rehabilitation. So Arizona, California, Illinois, Nevada, New Jersey, and New York they all offer these certificates, which are another great way for employers to know that they're getting somebody that is coming with these skills. So, so finding finding these people, Sue. I mean, I, I know that when you're going back to 2005, when we found Sandra, it was um, it was in a community, a local community organization that did retraining, and they had retraining programs for people coming mm-hmm. back into the workforce, and they they taught them how to write a resume and you know, to write a covering letter and that sort of thing. So we went directly to them and said, do you have anybody that is looking for right. work? And that's how we found Sandra, who's been with us for nearly 15 years now. Sure. And and that's a great resource, too, is every state, every city, they've got employment departments who are working to put people into jobs. And so developing a relationship with your employment department locally is another resource. And as you mentioned, a lot of these employment departments have got certificates, you know, whether they're like a bronze, silver or platinum. So it identifies the kind of level of skill sets and they have to take certain tests to be able to meet the qualifications with regards to communications and moving mathematics and analytics and, you know, customer service. But they do come with, you know, these certificates that show that they've gone through it. And and to me, that's even more important because if somebody is unemployed and they're working with the employment department and they're taking it upon themselves to improve their skills and go through these training programs they're pretty, you know, they're pretty hardy. It takes time and it takes, you know, a lot of um, attention to it. So I think that counts for a lot. It says a lot that somebody is trying to improve their skills. And so that shows you that they definitely have an affinity for learning. So, so what happens when you, you've actually employed somebody and they come along, they're starting on their first day? You've never had an employee before. You really don't know what to do with them. I mean, should there be a sort of a formal plan already laid out? So is, is there somewhere that, you know, this the employer can go and find out this information? You know, what do I do with this person who's come in with no knowledge whatsoever? What's the first thing I talk about? Right. And, and you know, there's, there's two... Two things. At least one strong resource is the Small Business Administration. They've got all kinds of forms and things that you need. But, but the key is is that you're bringing this individual on, and you want this to be a lasting partnership. You want it to be rewarding and motivating for individuals. I started one job. It was interesting. I started one job as the HR director, and I 
go on the first day and join this company. And I've learned over time to pack my own lunch because you never know what to expect. And sure enough, you know, in this company, the the CEO came up and they said, well, I really don't know. I've never hired an HR director before, so I'm not quite sure what you should do on your first day, but you know what you should do. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, I know. That's why I brought my lunch. So this first day piece is important from a couple of reasons. I think there's also this this whole legal aspect that you have to do before they join you as far as getting your unemployment insurance and setting up taxpayer IDs and those kinds of things. But that first day when they come in, really having a plan for them as to what that first week, that first month, and that first 90 days looks like. Because it's going to be a challenge. You have in your own mind what you expect, but also There's this training period, you know, transferring the knowledge, you know, sharing those. And those are the things that happen. So on the first day, I like to think about spending time with them and kind of talk to them about the employee experience, right? What you're going to provide to them. And, you know, that kind of comes into policies or handbooks. And for one employee, you certainly don't need an employee handbook, but there are certainly some policies you will want to have, especially when you think about what are your expectations from the employee? So, you know, what do you expect from attendance and punctuality or confidentiality, safety, right? Workplace culture, you know, those things. And then the legal stuff, especially in the U.S., most states are employment at will. But you really also want to make sure you're having those those policies that are creating a safe workplace and environment around open door and respect, Um you know, so there are key few things there, but from a just a pure pay kind of piece and the employee experience, you want to let them know, you know, how you're going to pay them, when they're going to get paid, you know, what time off they get, um, you know, also what their schedule is and how you're going to manage their performance. So one thing I, I, I like, I always like to suggest this. Now, I will say in theory, it's wonderful. However, in practice, Um, It takes a little bit of diligence. And when you actually are ready to hire your first employee and you create a job description or your job posting, you're ready to post, I also like to recommend that that's the time you put together this 90-day plan. You don't wait until the first day they start and then put together this 90-day plan. You put it together as you're going out to start the recruitment process so then you can talk about these things and the challenges they'll encom- you know, encompass as they're training over the 90 days. And I think about it from, you know, what does success look like? You hire this new employee and in 90 days, you want them answering the phone, taking reservations, doing guest services. Maybe that's what success looks like. So what do you have to do in those 90 days to get this individual prepared and trained and kind of ready to let them fly? So that's the piece I think that's most important is this upfront work so that when, you know, you hire Sue Jones and she steps through the door on day one, you now have the plan that you can work with. I love that. I love that thinking ahead, you know, in 90 days, this is what I want you to do. And then working back uh, so, so, so that you know what you have to put in place to get them there. And, and it goes back to that point. We're always running so fast. And, you know, and even myself, I just realized this. I'm missing a complete resource, too. And so we've been figuring out, you know, what is that resource we need? But we need that. We needed that resource three months ago. 
And so that's the challenge employers find is that by the time you get ready to hire that resource, it's probably three months too late because you also have to keep moving and doing all of these things. And by the time you bring that resource on, you know, then you're so slammed and trying to train that person. And so you've got to make sure when you hire that first employee, granted, they're going to be working for you, let's say 30 or 40 hours a week, but it's going to add more work to your plate because you're going to have to take time away from your day to physically be involved with training and mentoring and guiding this employee. And I think that's something people tend to tend to just think we'll make time for. And today you need to really build that in because that's going to be, you know, really important on how you engage and motivate your new employee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you make some great points. So so you've got the em- employee and something that um, that I had to st- I struggled with a bit because I, I was in the corporate world for many years and we had annual reviews and we you know I, I remember those reviews and you, you you went into the office and you sat down and you were told your fortune basically <laughs> you know, you, you've either done a great job of you or, or you have really screwed up and I didn't want to be that employer and I thought well do I do, do I do a formal review or do I say okay we'll We'll sit down and talk about it after two weeks and six weeks. And I thought, this is crazy because I'm it's just you and me every day. Right. <laughs> so so should there be a, a formal is are formal reviews necessary in a small company? I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Well, it's two things. The formal review and I'm gonna go back to like you said, when you would sit down and you do these formal reviews, people are waiting for one thing. And the one thing they're waiting for at the end of that review is how much more money are you going to pay me? And so, first of all, I like to separate your pay from your performance. So when you do your increases or you're going to pay your employee more, have that separate. It's not the performance review that's, you know, directing how much they're going to get in their pay. The performance review is to be really focusing on how they can improve their performance and et cetera. So let's say it's separated, and I'm a strong proponent. I would throw performance reviews right out the window to the extent that you can. I think that a lot of times what people do is they want this document in their file from a legal perspective to say that they've done it, and if anything ever came back, that we've got this performance review. It shows, you know, Sue's doing this great job, or it shows that, Heather, I'm sorry, unfortunately, (laughs) you're not meeting expectations. And that can become a real hindrance because if you're doing it for the file, then you have to keep up and continue to put notes in there. When you think about a review process, annual reviews, you're looking backwards. So you're asking me to come in and spend time and think about what did I do well, what worked, what didn't, you know, how can we do better? And then you're going to do the same thing, and then we're going to talk about it. And all of this time we're spending is focusing on what happened in the past. I like to recommend people manage performance every day, you focus on people's strengths. You provide ongoing coaching and feedback during one-on-ones. Maybe you have a monthly one-on-one where you touch base on some things, or maybe you know it's quarterly, and, and it's a touch base. And from that touch base, you can make notes and put it to the file, or you can put together a development plan. But having, having frequent conversations and ongoing coaching and feedback is how you want to manage your performance. You know, I I really think as you look out and you see how companies are doing this, this annual performance review is really dying a very slow death. (laughs) 
Well, that is good to hear because it's the policy that we've we've followed. We just it's an ongoing collaborative process with our staff. You know, we sit down and say, "How how's it going? What what would you like to do more of? What would you like to right. do less of?" And then we we work that through. So it's, it, it it does it seems to have changed a lot since I was in the corporate world working for Reader's Digest many years. Well, many and years you ago. know the other the other piece is that you want to continue to grow and develop people and they want to be challenged. When you look at this workforce, by 2020, 70% are going to be millennials, Generation Z, Generation Y. And they want challenge, they want motivation, they want frequent variety in the job that they're doing. So you have to stay close. And with these annual reviews, typically what companies would do is you'd set your goals for the year. Now, realistically, as fast as things change, it's highly probable that the goals you set 12 months ago aren't the same goals when you get to the end of the year. And I like to suggest you, especially in the vacation rental industry, when you're in the season, all you can do is be up against and execute. So when you set goals, I like to see um, companies working with their employees to set shorter goals, three, four-month goals that are actually achievable and doable. And and you can make progress when you have a little bit of a slower season versus, you know, putting all the goals in and then you come up at the end of the season and you haven't had time to finish your goals and it's almost the end of the year. (laughs) So there's a lot to doing things more simply, more frequently, and, and having these conversations with touch points. And then you just make a note and you put a note in the file and it protects you from an, you know, an employment standpoint, but also, you know, it does help you to document the conversations you've had. So you mentioned millennials and that they, they tend to be not hanging around in jobs for a huge amount of time any longer. Um, mm-hmm. So what tips have you got for retaining staff in this time when they tend to just move on more often? Well, part of it is, you know, this employee engagement's huge. And there's definitely research that shows there's a huge improvement in productivity and profitability and loyalty and employee retention. And what I am learning, first of all, this generational shift that we're seeing These individuals are going to be managing your company and running your departments. And so you want to provide them with as much training and opportunities as you can. And so that's where these frequent performance conversations come into play and see if they're still engaged and if they're working on something new. Putting someone into a maintenance role or maybe they're going to be just maintaining information. Maybe you're hiring somebody to, you know, do all the online reservations and all of the back end work for that. You also want to give them something that's going to keep them challenged and engaged, that's going to provide some variety. So finding a way to cross-train your teams, finding a way to have more project teams where people can be working together, those are the things that are going to engage them, and it's going to be compelling. And, you know, what these individuals are looking for is a company with a purpose, right? They want to come to work and have a purpose for what they do. And what that also is translation or translating into is this social impact. You know, what is your company doing in the community to um, be impactful with the environment? You know, are you assisting with Habitat for Humanity or 
you know, what is kind of the purpose driven with the community involvement? So the more that you can be involved in doing projects within the community, I think is a thing that these millennials are very involved with. So, so there's lots of opportunity, but it has to be fresh and it has to be new. So don't, um, don't expect a millennial to sit in the same job for 2.9 years and leave. You want to make sure that you're adding fresh things, that they're having new challenges and that they're being engaged. So I think there's a lot of things that you can do that will hopefully retain them a lot longer. That's such great advice, Sue. Finally, thinking about, once again, thinking about remote workers, but thinking maybe about uh, workers from other countries. I, I have a, a virtual assistant in the Philippines. She has been working for us for five years. And you know, yeah. she, she's as much part of the team as all our Ontario-based workforce, which, of course, with a remote workforce, you can have your people anywhere. Do you have any suggestions for somebody who says, well, you know, all I want is for somebody to do some operational work or some data entry for them, maybe a day or two a week? Do you have any advice for somebody who's actually going out and seeking somebody, let's say on Upwork or or one of the other um, remote working platforms? I think there are a lot of different places. You know, there's the Upwork. There's also um, Odesk where you can look overseas for that. Being very clear and also understanding the time difference. I think that's the other piece because if you do want to have conversations or you want to have touch bases other than just via email and different systems or you know, tools that you're using, being thinking about where that individual is in comparison to your time zone. Uh, Another one that's interesting, one of the women that I was involved with through an entrepreneurial group has a business called Freedom Makers. And Freedom Makers is made up of all of these veteran spouses and partners who are traveling all over the world. And so, again, they are a resource for like online administration and those things as well. So there are a lot of resources out there, and I think that just making sure that that's the right resource for you and for what your needs are, and, you know, as I've used them over time, it for me, it's been the communication piece, (laughs) just making sure we could commute. And, but it's a huge piece, and, you know, this gig employment, and actually, um, Katrina Murray, who was with Tybee Vacation Rentals, is now, she, she's a digital nomad, and she's traveling all over Europe and has been for a year, maybe it's upwards of a year and a half now. And again, you know, these are great individuals to be working with and, and connecting with. Um, there are people who just want to travel and work from wherever they are. And so I think that it's pretty limitless. It's just getting to the right resource at the right time. Well, I'll be putting, you know, links to all the things that we've been talking about today on the show notes. So for those of you who are listening in, you can, if you're interested in in any of these links and sites, uh, you can go to the show notes and check them out. Uh, Sue, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. You are just just full of so much information on this topic and I will certainly be looking forward to um, coming across you meeting you again (laughs) at uh, at VRMA I guess in New Orleans I guess that will be the next time we meet absolutely and thank you so much I've really enjoyed it and uh, look forward to future conversations it's been our pleasure 
Well, that was an absolute pleasure talking to Sue Jones of HR for VR. Thank you so much, Sue, for joining me. There was so much really great information in there. And after we'd, after we'd finished chatting, uh, after we'd finished the interview, I, we carried on chatting and we were talking about uh, VRSS, actually, the Vacation Rental Success Summit. And we, we're going to be starting to talk about that fairly soon as we begin to ramp up for next year's conference. And it was, um, and uh, Sue, Sue was asking uh, about it, and and I was about Sue was asking about the attendees, and I said, well, the majority of the attendees are independent owners. However, these independent owners who are coming to this conference are the property managers of of the future. And many I know of those attendees at the last VRSS were at that point, at that cusp, where they were thinking about whether they take that leap and start managing other people's properties, and certainly whether they take that leap and look for an employee. So I've asked Sue to come along to the next VRSS and actually talk to us and you know give a presentation on how you hire your first person. So that's going to be a great workshop. So you will be hearing more about this as as we go through the next uh, the next couple of months. I'm heading down to the Bahamas in a couple of weeks to uh, to spend some time with Mike and we will no doubt be uh, we talking for uh, uh, talking at length about VRSS 2020 at that time. So that's it for another week. It's um it it was great to talk to Sue again as you know from Last week's podcast, I had already interviewed Sue and then my uh, my recorder failed and it did not record the episode. So I thought it was great. The go around was really, really good. And I hope you enjoyed that. So for now, I hope that uh, I brought you some great information today and I look forward to having with having you with me again next week for more. This episode of Vacation Rental Success is over, but don't worry, Heather will be back soon. Want more great resources? Visit cottageblogger.com for tips, tricks, downloads, and strategies to help you achieve profit from your vacation rental business.